Hi, this is Doug Bradley, Pinhead from the Hellways and Movies, and you are listening to Without Your Head. And you'd better keep listening to Without Your Head, or you will not only be without your head, you will be without your soul, because I will tear it apart. To the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by M.W. Daniels, writer and director of House of Lexi. It's very cool to have you here. Hi, Neil. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it, you know. Yeah. So, uh, give everyone an idea of what House of Lexi is about. Um, I suppose I can't say too much because it's a short film. Right. I don't want to spoil it for people. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's about a girl called Lexi and she loses her sister uh, at birth. Her sister's died at birth, and she's kind of got this attachment to her, and she wants to see what she's like now, you know, like kind of growing up with her because uh, she's not there. So she imagines her there with her, um, but the kind of it's not all kind of love, you know. The imagination plays tricks, and obviously things start to turn on her. And also her mother supposedly died in a car crash, but I say supposedly... It's kind of all hearsay in the film. The mother in the film is kind of a really open-ended thing that I've left open in the film. Um, but the sister's definitely dead, so she's seeing her dead sister, and um, she lives in this house, so she, you know, the house is hers. It's got a kind of feeling about it, and that's why it's called House of Lexi, you know, because it's just, it's kind of a lonely story about one person, you know? Mm-hmm. So... Where did you find the house that you uh, film it in? Um, a friend of mine um, said we could film there, and I gave her a part in the film. Uh, she's never acted before, but she was amazing. It was really, really good. Um, and, yeah, we filmed there. We filmed there on a Saturday, and then we filmed in a place called Whitstable, uh, which Peter Cushing, you're, you'd be familiar oh, wow. with, famous old horror actor, used to live, uh, and he actually died. He finished his finish these days there, Peter Cushing. Uh, so it's quite famous for him being there. So we filmed on the seafront, and we filmed with some drone photography up above. Uh, so we wanted to get the beach, the, the kind of, you know, the mass of the sea kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. and get them, um, Helen and Emma, by the sea, so you can get that real good feeling. So, and it worked really well, you know. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was good filming that. Yeah. It's interesting that uh, in modern times you can use a drone affordably to uh, get like overhead shots because that wouldn't be something, you know, uh, someone without like a huge budget would have been able to do not that long ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, having something like that is amazing because it's just, it wasn't that expensive. It was kind of really decent price as well. And the guy himself, 
um, a guy called David Gilbert from Sky Motion Imagery. He was amazing, really enthusiastic, really professional as well. Um, so he was operating it um, with the controls, and then Nikolai, the director of photography I work with, Nikolai Cornham, he was operating, obviously, how the uh, screen, the images are, and stuff like that, you know, and it worked brilliantly. So, But, I mean, you know, it's always, obviously... Working with drone, there could be problems with obviously seagulls or if it starts to rain or there's too many people around. So we was all aware of that. But uh, on the day, it worked out. It worked out really good, which was amazing. You know. Mm-hmm. So where did the idea for the short come from? Um, well, I've been doing films for about seven years, and only over the last year they've turned from crime and extreme horror into psychological drama. And psychological horror. Um, so they've all kind of they're all kind of linked in a way. Uh, a lot of the films uh, they deal with imaginary friends, they deal with kind of depression, deal with anxiety, deal with paranoia, uh, deal with hallucinations, deal with like kind of uh, hauntings, you know, and stuff like that. Hauntings in the mind and, and things like that, you know. So House of Lexi kind of come out of that, I kind of wanted to write something that was um, that was quite, quite close to home and um, you know I was born in 1970 and my sister died in 1965 and for me I never met her obviously you know I was born five years later mm-hmm. so for me that inspired me to write a story about someone wanting to see someone there grow up you know so it was kind of quite a true, half of it is a true sort of story yeah from my own life and the other half obviously I worked up a character and worked up this kind of thing in the film so so it's quite personal I suppose you know it's Mm -hmm. a personal film Mm -hmm. Um, have your parents seen your movies or uh... Uh, my dad yeah my dad's seen the films he really likes them I think my mum if they're too kind of bloody or violent some of the films but she likes the films that are psychological dramas the films I've been doing lately because obviously there's none of that in them, you know, uh, and it's completely different. But yeah, my dad's a big supporter of the films. Um, and so is my brother and sister-in-law and, and friends and stuff like that. So it's, it's really good. It's nice to see what they think of it as well. You know, what the kind of work that I put into it. It's, uh, and they're all big film fans. And we all, you know, I grew up watching films and they got me into kind of horror films and stuff like that in the seventies, especially my brother. So it's good to, to, you know, have their kind of approval, I suppose. Yeah. And since this, uh, the story itself, like, it, it, it comes from a personal place for you and for them, if they know the, uh, the backstory, uh, do you think yeah. this one will be, you know, different for them to watch? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't tell them originally that that was the sort of case, but, um, I think they kind of realized and, that it was that was the kind of thing seeing someone growing up that's not there so it was kind of putting two and two together and it was easy to work out really especially i think speaking to my dad about it so so yeah i mean it's good to write those kind of stories i kind of didn't want to write stuff that was you know the kind of fetishy kind of violence and the crime stuff that i started off with i wanted to write stuff that affects me and stuff that's kind of quite real stuff that worries me about life um, and the stuff that I've been through, stuff that's part of my life, you know, so I thought it's a really good thing to write them stories and 
the stories come out kind of more original that way as well when you look at them. Um, so and I, I like doing that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's just it's more grand as well when I'm composing music for the films. Mm-hmm. It makes it more powerful for me. You know, mm-hmm. writing music for the films now. Where in the past. I kind of didn't really bother writing music for my films, you know, we just put sound effects in and stuff like that, but now I can play piano and get singers in and synthesizers and put percussion on, and so it's it's become this, this whole kind of world now, you see? Yeah. When you're writing um, what you're going to make or when you're directing it, do you think of the music? So um, when the times they compose, uh, you kind of already have the idea in your mind? Yeah, when I first write the scripts, I'm always I'm always playing music, um, sort of to inspire sometimes the scripts, like different bands or classical music or soundtrack music, and um, I always write the music before uh, we actually film. Uh, I never score the music because I kind of want room to manoeuvre. Um, and when I give Nikolai the music, he might use you know track ten on scene two not track 10 on scene 10, you see? Mm-hmm. And normally he'll send me it and say, I've got a suggestion. It's always great. It always works. So we like that room to manoeuvre. And I always like bringing the script into the studio, looking at the script, then writing the music that I've been doing it there. I'll do some stuff at home and then go into the recording studio and put the whole thing down. But it's good to have that sort of uh, spontaneity you know, because you can ex- sort of experiment that way and accidents will happen in the studio that normally work. They'll normally actually accentuate the soundtrack other than make it sound awful, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, who is Nikolai, by the way? Nikolai Kornum is a, uh, a Danish uh, fashion photographer and filmmaker, and I met him uh, for a friend, a mutual friend called Katerina Samoilis, and I met him through her. And he did an album cover for me. Um, he just took the picture. Katerina animated the album cover, a band called Melrose Avenue that I was doing with a friend um, called Jason. And then I wanted to work with somebody. I was working with somebody doing films, but it was analog, so I wanted to work with someone who was doing digital and sort of up-to-date films, you know. Mm-hmm. And Nikolai does that. And um, she said, speak to Nikolai. So I spoke to him. We went for a meeting. And that was it, yeah, it was five years ago, and we've been doing films for around four years now, so, and it's brilliant, he's amazing to work with, he's a great people person, and um, he's a genius, really, yeah, he he's, he's excellent, once he sends me the edit, it always looks just fabulous, you know, it looks amazing. Yeah, so uh, Emma Dark is in this, and uh, I know her from a movie she's made herself, so how did you get to know Emma, and how did uh, she become the, the lead of the movie in the short? Um, I did a so I did some acting in a short sort of music video last year, and I met Emma on that. Um, and I kept in correspondence with her, and then said, "I, oh, you know, I've got this film. You know, do you want the lead part?" And she read the script, and she really liked it. So, and that was it. It was great, and uh, working was amazing. She's She's brilliant, you know, she's such a lovely person. She's brilliant film knowledge, amazing knowledge of film. Um, and she's great. She's so good on set. She's excellent, yeah. I can uh, recommend her enough, really. Um, and we're going to work together again soon, hopefully. But So I just had her in mind. I just thought she would work really well uh, for the part. And she did. She really is really, really good in, in the part of Lexi. She works, 
she works so well, you know. So um, it was a privilege, yeah, brilliant to work with her, amazing. Yeah, I got to meet her last year when I was in London for the first time for Fright Fest, mm. and she's very cool. And I've had her on the hit, the show since. Mm, she's great, yeah. She's she does so much stuff, you know, acting yeah. and photography, filmmaking, does her own films, does everything. So she she does that kind of thing, you know, like I do. I don't obviously make, you know, I kind of do everything, but actually use the camera, which I can't use the camera. Um, but she does all this other stuff, so she's. Yeah, she's very good. We talked about doing a music video uh, for a track uh, I'm going to write at one point. Um, so, yeah, she just pushes on and she just keeps promoting herself, keep, keeps going, which I think is admirable, you know, because I do the same. Um, and she gave me a lot of she gave me a lot of great advice. One of the best bits of advice Emma Darts give me is never hide, you know, always be there putting your product out, you know, never kind of back off and, I don't know, for four or five months and disappear. Like, you know, if you've got something, uh-huh. just kind of go for it, you know, and keep it going. So it's yeah. the only way you're going to get it out to people. Mm-hmm. That's interesting to talk about because I think some people don't uh, really talk about that. It is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, self-promotion. Even doing the show, obviously, I have to get it out there for people to hear it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think sometimes people feel like, oh, I don't want to push something too much because I might... You know, people get tired of it or whatever, but at the same time, if you don't, it's not going to get out there. Yeah, I think she's exactly the same mind as me. You know, if you're you make the the art, you know, your art and what you do, and you're proud of it, you should just Mm -hmm. keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and go for it. You know, because you you love it that much. So she's totally right. You know, in doing that. You know, if I've got something and I kind of just sat around and just sent it to a couple of sites, it just it's kind of a waste of my money and time, really, and effort. Mm-hmm. So you put all this effort into this thing, and the idea is just to really just go for it. Yeah, why not? The more places that get it and um, give it coverage, then obviously the better. Mm-hmm. You know. So when you say you want to work together again, um, would it be the same way? Like her as an actor, you as you know, writing director, or doesn't it really matter? You just want to do something together. Yeah, I'd lo- like, love to play a lead role again. That'd be great um, in another film. Yeah, I'd like to write something else for her, definitely. I mean, we've got I've got a film in August coming up, and I've got a film in November, and I've got a film in February. So after that, then I'll I'll be working on something uh, to work with her, hopefully. So but I've got three more films before then, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously House of Lexi to promote for... For a long time, it takes a long time to, you know, for festivals and to get films out there. You know, it could be a year, could be a couple of years. You know, just keeping hammering the film and just going for it. Really, that's the only way to do it. So uh, that being said, what are the plans for House of Lexi? You want to get it into festivals, I assume. Yeah, I've sent it to a few festivals already. Um, submitted it to a few festivals. Um, the previous, the film I did last year called Being Without got to the Gold Movie Awards, it got it got oh, to the yeah. final of the Gold Movie Awards, which was in January. So we went, me and Nikolai and uh, Kesa Martin, who's in that film, we went to like a ceremony, yeah, like a gala, which was quite surreal, but really nice. So it's strange. And eight months before, I was sitting in my room, like writing a script, and eight months later, kind of, you're there in this place. It's really weird, but... So I suppose House of Lexi even more so, you know, because there's a lot more places to send it, especially with horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, with psychological drama, it's, maybe it's slightly more limited, but with horror you can kind of, there's so many 
outlets, you know, for horror. It's, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. What is it about horror that uh, that interested you? Uh, I've always been into horror, you know. My brother got me into horror in the 1970s and got into universal kind of horror, the monsters kind of thing, mm-hmm. and especially The Invisible Man and Creature yes. of the Black Lagoon were the mm-hmm. two films for me, which growing up, they were the films, you know. And obviously into the 80s, like they had a dead reanimator, uh, Hellraiser, Near Dark, and The Fly, especially Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis. The Fly sort of just blew my head off, you know, that was the film, because it was like a doomed love story, stroke horror film, stroke kind of almost gore film, and mm-hmm. but it had that doomed love story, which I'm kind of playing on now in a lot of my films, so it's, yeah, amazing soundtrack, Howard Shaw. You know, it was brilliant. And Alien, obviously, in 1979, mm-hmm. those sort of films. Um, and The Elephant Man, but I don't obviously it's not a horror film, but still it's an inspirational mm-hmm. film for me, you know, and it's still David Lynch's best film, I'd say, next to a razor head. But, but the horror thing in the 80s, yeah, was a big thing for me as well, not just the 1970s. The 80s was, it was everything was there in the 80s. You mm-hmm. know, I'm really disappointed by horror now because I just haven't seen anything that I really like. Um, I guess she's probably the way I am, you know. But I'm probably too picky about <laughs> things. But um, uh-huh. I think Hereditary, I didn't like. You know, Mandy, I didn't like, which is awful. I just couldn't stand those films. It just bored me. But there's a film called Possum that's really good. Like yeah, that UK was good. Films. There's, you know, there's a there's a few of films around that have that have got something for me. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really did like Mandy, I have to admit, but Hereditary, I was not a fan of either. And I know every well, not everyone, but a lot of people, you know, just loved it. A lot of the movies of the last few years that everyone loved, I didn't really care for. Yeah, I mean, I haven't even seen Get Out, so I mean, I only read about that recently. I'm kind of really late to the party. I really did with, like it uh, with Jordan Peele, even though I looked at a lot of interviews of him, and he's he's great. He's mm-hmm. you know brilliant. I love watching interviews with people before I see their films, you know, mm-hmm. and um, he's excellent, you know, he's, he's he's got brilliant horror taste, he likes great stuff, but I really want to watch Get Out, you know, I really want to see what it's like, but Hereditary, I just, I just couldn't get into it, Mandy, I liked the music, mm-hmm. uh, there was bits of it that were okay, but I didn't like that whole macho Nicolas Cage thing, I just got bored of it, I think, and the chainsaw thing again, and uh-huh. I was like, God, you know, take me back to the 80s, it was so much better, and Hellraiser, you know, yeah. um, it just seemed more original back then, there was stuff coming out you've never seen before, and as a teenager, it was like, wow, like this is this is it, yeah. uh, but now it's like, you know, I think now it's, it just seems like it's all been done, so it's, it's, it's a bit strange, really, but... Uh, there is a few things around, as I say. There's a few films. Mm-hmm. Even Shape of Water I haven't seen, but people rave about that film. Um, I think it's a creature from the Black Lagoon rip-off, isn't it, that film? But, um, yeah, I've yet to see a film that's really up-to-date horror film that's phenomenal. So I'm still waiting, really. Yeah. I would definitely recommend Get Out, though. I really liked it. And I liked this new one, Us. Yeah, everybody's saying Us is really good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just really interested in... Jordan Peele, yeah, I'm really interested in him. Um, he's, you know, interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't even know about him, you know, anything about him. He was a comedian, but I didn't yeah. even know anything about the guy. And, but now I think, great, you know, I'm really pushed to watch his films because they look really interesting. They look different. Yeah, that's why yeah. I'm interested. Different story, different take on things. And um, anything that's kind of fresh, I kind of go towards, you know. Yeah, and they definitely make you think, like us, 
you know, I thought of, I just saw it uh, two days ago, and it really made me uh, makes me want to see it again to see a lot of the different clues and stuff that lead up to the uh, the finale and what everything means in the movie, which you don't get too often anymore. Yes. Well, yeah, people raving about it. I mean, quite a lot, you know, which is which is great. I mean, the reviews are really good. I always read reviews, and mm-hmm. I know maybe people shouldn't at times, but I read a review of Possum, and it looked really good. I watched it, and it was like, wow, you know, this is actually good. It's a good little kind of story. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminded me a bit of a Razorhead, but uh, with Get Out and Us, I was kind of more pushed to watch Get Out, I think. I think that the Us poster was kind of quite a straight, almost horror thing for me, and um, watching the... I think it's like a doppelganger thing and mm-hmm. I read about with the film. But Get Out was kind of a bit of a mystery. I was like, okay, this looks a bit of a weird, odd film, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and people say it's quite disturbing to watch. And I was like, you know, that's kind of sold it for me if people say that. Yeah. But something a best friend of mine said, Hereditary, creeps him out, you know. And I was like, great, I better, I better watch this film. And I watched it and then... Yeah, I think it was about as creepy as a carry-on film. <laughs> yeah, so. I I didn't understand uh, I didn't understand the praise for it either. Uh, I didn't find it disturbing at all, and uh, the ends almost like out of Scooby Doo because it's just kind of like they explain the whole movie in the last five minutes. And, yeah, yeah the, the kind of um, with the what piano wire or whatever it was where she's suspended and stuff like that, Tony Collette and. Mm-hmm. I thought that would be really good, but it actually, ugh, I couldn't get into it. I think the kind of bugs coming out the mouth thing, if I remember rightly, in bed, was the only bit that I thought was actually any good. And the soundtrack's brilliant. Mm-hmm. So I listened to the soundtrack before I saw the film, and the soundtrack's phenomenal. It's a brilliant soundtrack. But I think I put the whole thing on, the film being brilliant, because the soundtrack was. So maybe I expected too much, you see. Mm-hmm. That's that probably is- what it was. That is another thing, because they promote every new horror movie lately as, like, the scariest movie ever made. It's never just like, hey, this is really good. It's the scariest movie ever made, and uh, and it usually isn't. And not, yeah, I mean, that was why I was interested in Get Out, because there was mm-hmm. no thing that they were putting like that. And I was like, great, you know, it's, they're kind of downplaying it, if anything, I suppose, mm-hmm. you know. And it doesn't even, it didn't really strike me as a horror sort of poster or anything like that. So I like all these things that are different mm-hmm. about films. People not trying the obvious things. And I was kind of warming to it because of that. So um, so I've got to go out and get it now and watch it really, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? You've recommended it. So, yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. definitely got to go and see yeah. it, you know, definitely. And I'm glad you brought up The Invisible Man because I love all the universal horror movies, but... I always think The Invisible Man's the most underrated one. It doesn't get as much love, you know, as Frankenstein and Dracula and Wolfman and all this. Yeah. But uh, I think yeah. it's amazing. It's, I think, because I think I was confused by it when I was a kid in the 70s. I think I was about seven or eight or nine when I watched it because mm-hmm. it used to be a kind of double bill on a Saturday night um, on BBC One. And it was a horror double bill and it was always universal. And it was, you know, I look forward to it every Saturday night, staying up late and watching these films. And The Invisible Man was different. It was a different film to what I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's one that stayed with me. And watching it recently, when I bought a copy of it, um, it's so nihilistic and it's so angry. Like, he is so angry in it. And I kind of, I didn't really remember that as a kid, mm-hmm. like the anger of it and the kind of, there is that nihilism there and he, He's just kind of quite almost hateful in the film at times and telling people to get out and stuff like that. And he wants to get on with his experiments and stuff like that. And 
it's just it's a phenomenal film, yeah. She's mm-hmm. got that power to it, and Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, that's the it. same sort of thing. It's got that power to it. I love that. You know, mm-hmm. the, the underwater sequences are just they're beautiful. Kind of, it's like, Groundbreaking is mm-hmm. groundbreaking in sort of nineteen thirty three King Kong really, you know, mm-hmm. with the kind of first kind of monster film. So yeah, I mean even King Kong, I suppose, that's another classic. Yeah, it's one of my favourites. It never got better, you know. They've tried, yeah. but it never worked, did it? You know? mm-hmm. Well even the creature from Black Lagoon stuff, the underwater scenes I think are just as good as anything when he's like mm-hmm. mimicking the girl above him swimming. I mean that stuff looks mm-hmm. amazing. Well, it's got that kind of romanticism about it, and I think mm-hmm. that's why Shape of Water got made because mm-hmm. he wanted to, that director wanted to imagine that, that you know there was a romance between the creature and the girl, you know. Mm-hmm. So they made he made that Shape of Water film, and um, which I still haven't watched. Yeah, I love but, it. Um, <laughs> creature from the Black Lagoon. There was that separation, wasn't there? Like there wasn't. There was a. I suppose coming from his point of view, the creature. There was a point of view there. There was that kind of romanticism. There was something going on, but for her, she was kind of repulsed by this creature, so it was kind of quite strange. But um, it just always intrigued me, that film as a kid, and it stuck with me for some reason. But as I say, you know, the Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman films are amazing. You know, uh, I love those films. But um, it was all the other films, as you say, the underrated ones, like Invisible Man that were more important because you kind of come away thinking about them films more mm-hmm. um, and you want to watch them again and again where the kind of other ones they're, they're great they're classics but you know they're quite obvious in their stories aren't they compared mm-hmm. to something like The Invisible Man yeah yeah. just a cheap plug for my own website but uh, I had Ben Chapman on who played the creature on the land scenes and uh, for okay. me that was uh, a big wow. highlight of doing the show to have someone from Creature from the Black Lagoon on the show that's amazing. That's amazing. That's really good. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of there was this lady. I was quite famous. I don't know her name, but she made the uh, the costume and stuff like that. And that costume is brilliant. You know, it's I, I love it. It's so so good. I mean, the two films after it I liked as well. I think it was Return, Revenge of the Creature yeah. and The Creature Walks Among Us. Mm-hmm. And I think the third one I really liked because Creature Walks Among Us was just this really oddball film. You know, I think the Misfits obviously took their first album name from that from that uh-huh. film, Walk Among Us. But it was just a really odd film. The second film was not as you know, it was kind of quite straightforward. But mm-hmm. Creature Walks Among Us was just weird. Yeah, it was like I couldn't, when I was a kid watching that, it really confused me as much as watching the Twilight Zone or or <laughs> yeah. the Fatal Mass Experiment or something yeah. like that. You know, because the second one is sort of like a King Kong kind of story where it, they're taking the monster into civilization. So it's not necessarily yeah. that original. The third one's very, like you said, very bizarre because like his scales get burned off and somehow makes him like yeah. human. <laughs> it's yeah. very strange. It is weird. I mean, just the title alone, The Creature Walks Among Us, pulled me into that film straight away as a kid. It was just such a, you know, you kind of imagine the creature, you know, trying to be human or them trying to make the creature human. I think I thought of that before I even watched the film, and, and watching it was amazing, but I did come away confused. So I haven't seen that film for such a long time, so it would be great to to revisit it and watch it again, you know. Um, but I think it's probably about £50 on Amazon to buy, <laughs> so I don't think it went on general release that much. I don't think it did anyway. Yeah, yeah. 
So I have the old box set when they put out the box set of each of the uh, the Universal movies. So I have all the uh, the creature movies on one disc. I have to find that. I'd like to watch that now that we're talking about it. <laughs> so what was your favorite Universal film? Um, well, I, pro- I actually probably do like Frankenstein, but right uh, below that is Creature from the Black Lagoon and uh, The Invisible yeah. Man. What about the 80s? Uh, for 80s, we said Hellraiser. I really like Hellraiser. Uh, I really like Creepshow. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was really good, actually. Yeah. Um, I like the style of it. Yeah, because me and myself and Emma were talk about vampire films because she did that film, um, Seize the Night. Um, mm-hmm. I said I really like uh, Near Dark because mm-hmm. it didn't have any of the trappings of vampire films. Yeah. You know, there was kind of none of no fangs and stuff like that. And and she, I don't think she's as keen on that film, but because um, I kind of grew up with that film. I really like it, you know, it's it's just an amazing, amazing film, you know, it's the soundtrack as well, mm-hmm. uh, I think Tangerine Dream did the soundtrack, but it's amazing, I remember seeing it at an all-nighter uh, in London at a place called The Scala, we used to do horror all-nighters, and mm-hmm. they used to play films six months before they come out, so they played Hellraiser six months before it came out, so you get to see all this stuff way before it hits the cinema. Yeah. And uh, and Near Dark was one of those films, and I didn't expect it, and it come on at like two, three o'clock in the morning, and it was just an amazing atmosphere watching that film. You know, it was brilliant, and um, there's no film like it for me. It's quite, it's a very clever sort of vampire film. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I love it too. It's got like the kind of the family element of the uh which they're not really related but you know the group of outcasts that are traveling together and i like the idea of the darkened out van so the sun can't get in there's a lot of really uh interesting stuff in it yes brilliant i mean you got that kind of maze in it and maze theme was a great piece of music as well and um i come away from it thinking of that part that bit of music i think i went out and bought the album like a week later kind of wore it out you know just kept playing it all the time um, and just remembering the film because the film wasn't out on video yet. And videos in the 80s when they come out, when they came out, were like 30 pounds, 40 pounds. Mm-hmm. So really expensive. Where they're just, you know, DVDs are dirt cheap now. But back in the 80s, I think when I bought the fly, it cost me like 30 pounds. Yeah, yeah. my second week's wages. <laughs> so I bought a video and then went out and bought the fly, Day of the Dead, and. You know, it's like hundred pounds for about three <laughs> video cassettes right. back then, which was a lot of um, money. But you—that's the thing, you know. I was absolutely obsessed by it back then, so mm-hmm. you know, it's like feeding your obsession with these horror films. Yeah, so that's a, one of the things about Creepshow. It's the first VHS tape that my mom bought me in the '80s, mm. and I still have it here. It's in the cl- the old clamshell case, so it has a special uh, place for me. Yeah, so it's brilliant. I mean, I think. I don't know, it's just not the same on DVD, you know, I mm-hmm. think because I grew up in that era uh, of horror film being really big and like Chaz, uh, Chaz Balan and, you know, the Horror Holocaust book and Gore Shriek book come out and, uh, you know, it was so much, you find, it was so much better than Fangoria for me. I wanted something more extreme than Fangoria and I think he was putting these books out that were just, you know, like Gore Score as well and all these kind of books. It was brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, I love these books. Um, and I just love his viewpoint. Obviously, he's not with us anymore, but he was a big influence on me, a big inspiration, actually, in the 80s. And it was like anything that he would like, he'd sort of watch it, and it would be great. You know, he was a, he had a really good sort of uh, eye for 
for good extreme films, especially like Cannibal Ferox and Cannibal Holocaust and Dr. Butcher MD, Bloodsucking Freaks, all these kind mm-hmm. of underground films that were banned at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to get them from a place in Camden in London. They used to under the counter kind of, you know, banned horror films. And we used to get all these films on video cassette and they're amazing. You know, mm-hmm. all these films that you used to review, you couldn't really, you couldn't get them in the shops because mm-hmm. they were just too extreme, you know. So he'd review Day of the Dead and reanimated it, but he wouldn't, you know, he'd review all these really extreme things as well. Uh, and you get them home and yeah, amazing, you know, inspirational. Yeah. A huge fan of Blood Sucking Freaks, uh, uh, Joel Reed movie. It's, uh, I just actually, mm. uh, they interviewed me for the, the, the upcoming documentary because I'm a big fan. And, oh, amazing! Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's such a such a weird movie, and uh, mm. there's something about the that era of movies that were filmed in New York. They all have a grittiness to them and this weird feel. Even big movies like they Taxi do. Driver, but you know, Chud and uh, pretty much yeah. everything from that era. Yeah, I mean that was kind of a standout film, Bloodsucking Freaks. Yeah. Um, just for the facts of you know the character Sardou in the film, which is absolutely (laughs) insane, you know, Um, and Louis, I think Louis de Jesus playing the kind of little kind of the mentor Mm -hmm. or the kind of, you know, Sardou's kind of henchman, Mm -hmm. which is bizarre. It was a bizarre film um, and it had kind of so much in that film going on. Uh, I think it's filmed in 1970, I think it's 1976 possibly it was filmed. Mm -hmm. I had a really bad copy of it uh, where you could hardly see it really. Mm-hmm. And then years later, I got a kind of better copy on video and uh, watched it. And, yeah, it's phenomenal. It's just so good. I um, just fell in love with that film straight away. It's kind of disturbing, but at the same time, it's kind of really comic and funny. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of dark humor in it as well. Yeah. Because it has, like, a heart to it, which is a weird thing to say about it. But it's kind of, when you watch it, it's more tongue-in-cheek. It's not, like, hate-filled. But uh, but it's very bizarre. I mean, it's, it's bizarre, talking for everybody. Yeah. The guy who played Stardew got to see the film. I think he got killed. Yeah. Like, not long after he done like done the film. Um. So that's really sad. I don't think he got to see the mm-hmm. finished product, which is awful, really. You know, it's mm-hmm. absolutely awful. But it'd be good to see them guys if they're alive now at a convention. You know, yeah. all getting back together and. You know, maybe doing blood sucking freaks part two. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. how good would that be? That would be awesome. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of the people died not long after they made the movie. Both Sardou mm. and um, mm. and uh, the 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 short guy. I forget his name actually. And uh, Jesus, yeah, yeah. And the and uh, one of the women too. She was like shot by her husband or something. Yeah, the one, the ballerina who kind of mm-hmm. tortures uh, the reporter where he's kind of tied up and she's kind of kicking him, sort of uh, kicking his teeth out or kicking him to death or whatever. I can't remember what it was. But she, yeah, she was in like, alcoholism and drugs. And, and, yeah, so a lot of bad stuff happened. And, unfortunately, she she died really afterwards. But um, there were so many other people in that film that must be alive now, you know, mm-hmm. kind of. Uh, it'd be good to sort of interviewed them really and speak to people about their experiences on set mm-hmm. with that film because um, I say when I was 17 I was totally obsessed by that film I was like playing it every single night <laughs> I think and just putting it on because it was just it was like entertainment more uh-huh. than actually sitting down putting the lights off watching a horror film it was kind of it was, it was very entertaining for its comic value you know mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And uh, if you ever uh, get a chance to meet Joel Reed, who made it, he's a very entertaining guy. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. He must have some good stories. He does, yeah. I went and met him uh, in Manhattan, where he lives, and uh, we went out to lunch, and we've, I've made a video our dinner with uh, with Joel, and it was a really good time. Wow. So what does he do now? Um, I think he, well, he's retired, but, uh, I think he's making a new movie coming, uh, hopefully this, this year he's making it. Oh, wow, that's brilliant. Yeah. Really good. I know it came out on, it came out on Troma, the Troma label, I think. It yeah, see, there's a, he's not a fan of Troma or Lloyd Kaufman, so there's some, like, because he says they don't own the, the rights to the movie, and so, like, oh, when they I put out that. the Blu-ray, it's someone else doing, like, uh, the commentary. And they also wow. said that they have the director's cut, and he said, how can they have the director's cut when I'm the director? And so there's... Mm-hmm. Also, like, he wanted to make a sequel, but they say they own the rights, so it could never really happen. There was, like, a dispute okay. who actually owns it. So what if there's any unedited footage that he still has that never actually got into the film, you know, that there was he could if it got re released there could be some yeah. extras or something like that. It would be really nice. Because it, it is a real big kind of cult classic, but even mm-hmm. more so after the eighties, you know, people mm-hmm. were talking about that film and it's bizarre, you know. In the eighties it was people knew about it, but I think after that, uh it really hit the kind mm-hmm. of big time of cult people into cult kind of films um and it is yeah become a cult classic definitely yeah yeah i remember in the 80s when you're talking about like having bad prints of movies it's something that people don't really know today but you'd have like second or third generation of a vhs tape and and i remember um the original evil dead was hard to get and i'd like my brother's Mm -hmm. nine years older and i remember going to party with him with his friends, and they were watching Evil Dead, and it was like a big deal that someone had a copy of it. It was very, very hard to see, but it was like a big deal. Hey, we're watching Evil Dead. Yeah, I mean, I think I had a copy of Evil Dead, and he went to, I saw it at the cinema, and it was already coming out on video, so it was really easy to buy. Um, And I think that in the early 80s, I think my brother had a copy, when videos first come out, Mm -hmm. my brother had a copy of The Exorcist, for the first time on video, um, and then he, you know, even though it was from the 70s, you know, mm-hmm. he, and then he obviously, he brought that home and stuff like that, so I think that um, the early copies, yeah, like Blood Sucking Freaks that I had, and probably Evil Dead as well, that were, there weren't great copies at all, they were watchable, but mm-hmm. um, they weren't, they weren't brilliant, the Blood Sucking Freaks was so dark, like yeah. that beginning bit, I think, where he's in the back of the van, I think, if I remember rightly, where it's set in New York and it's the other night, it was it was almost pitch black apart from a few little lights, you know, so it was that bad. When I got actually the the really better copy of it, um, I was thinking, wow, you know, I've never seen this bit before, you know, mm-hmm. because it was actually completely blacked out on the original because of the, um, yeah, like probably second generation copy, as you say, it was, they were passing hands at that time, but... Um, it's like tape trading was the same, like, you mm-hmm. know, I come from kind of metal music and stuff, so tape trading in the 80s, you were getting second, third generations of a, like, even the first Metallica demo before Metallica put out their mm-hmm. first album, and the same with Slayer and Exodus and bands like that, so, 
you know, but you kind of put it on because, you know, you kept it because that's all you had, you know, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. There are the rare, rare movies I think actually looks better. Uh, like a bad copy, because I've seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, both in original 35mm print, a very bad mm. copy at the theater recently. Mm. And then I saw the restored mm. one, and that was actually yeah. a movie I think looked better, uh, the old, like, bad cut, because there's something, like, dirty about the movie. And when it's really brightened up yeah. and, and it looks good, it takes away from the movie. Yeah, especially if it's that kind of film, you know, and Chainsaw Massacre's, you know, one of the greatest films ever made, you mm-hmm. know, and for me to see it like that, it, it, it's great, you know, it's like the, the copy I used to have, I think it was the Channel 5, is it called, that put out videos in the 80s, and I bought Halloween, which is one of my favourite ever films, you know, the, the, the first Halloween, and mm-hmm. now I've got it on DVD, it's kind of a pristine digital printed copy, and it's still brilliant, but it's, yeah, I prefer the video version that I had in the 80s. Uh, the same with Reanimator. I prefer the video mm-hmm. version of that, really. Yeah. yeah. The first time you see Reanimator, uh, especially if you see the uncut one with the full, you know, uh, severed head going between her legs and stuff, that's such a, mm. an amazing mm. movie. It's brilliant, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just, again, it's, there's so much comedy in Reanimator yeah. as well. Um but it was, yeah, it was. It kind of shocked me when I first put it on because it was so bloody and so full on. It was like, wow, this is great, you know. I kind of didn't expect it to be this kind of full on, mm-hmm. kind of like almost like not a, like a blood fest, but there was a lot of like when the head gets squashed and the you know stuff like that. So yeah, the same with the Day of the Dead, the classic part at the end where they kind yeah. of tear him apart. You know, that was. I love the film, but I ended up just going to that bit all the time and watching it obsessively yeah. because I'm, I was thinking, how the hell did they do that? You uh-huh. know, it's such a brilliant effect, you know. Um, whereas something like The Flyer, I'd watch it from start to finish and almost have a, a real emotional attachment to that film mm-hmm. because it's, it's that sort of film that I'd watch from start to finish, you know. It's got that power to it, you know. Whereas Day of the Dead is great, but I was just more interested in the gore and the effects yeah, yeah. more than the actual story, you know. Mm-hmm. And zombies really bore me. I've never seen Walking Dead, but you know, the zombie films back then were good. But yeah, now yeah, they've been done to death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never it's... seen it. Yeah, I've still never seen it. So uh-huh. people say it's really good, but I still haven't haven't uh, got around to watching it. But um, maybe I'll give it a chance one day. But I'd, I'd rather stick with the old. Films. Maybe it's because I'm getting, getting yeah. old now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the D- Day of the Dead when they rip him apart and he's like, choke on it. It's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, awesome. it's, yeah. It, it's unbelievable. When I saw it, it was a uh, yeah, it's like teenager, seventeen year old. It's uh, yeah, I couldn't believe it. Absolutely couldn't believe it. I never saw it in the cinema. Saw mm-hmm. it on video, watched it, and yeah, it blew my mind that part. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Really, they kind of left the best till last, didn't they? Yeah. On the uh, you know, and Dawn of the Dead I liked, but I didn't like it as much. And Night of the Living Dead was, I love that film, but it's a very different film. It's mm-hmm. a very groundbreaking film, Night yeah. of the Living Dead. Um, Dawn of the Dead is brilliant, don't get me wrong, it's a great film, but Dawn of the Dead just had this power to it with the effects. And uh, yeah, absolutely brilliant, you know. Um, I think Return of the Living Dead come out after that, and I liked it, but it just wasn't the same anymore. <laughs> it was about them first. Three it's very co- comedic, uh, Return of Living Dead. It was but more I like comedic, it. Yeah, yeah. I think he, he would, you know, it was sort of a more light-hearted take on things. 
um, just like after Chainsaw Massacre come out and there was these other films and yeah. they were more light-hearted and it wasn't like that kind of brutality of that, you know, the eeriness of that original film, which is, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable that, you know, the first film, yeah. you know, it was such a masterwork, really yeah. is. The second one's so weird when, when I was a kid because I'd watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre and it's so... You know, brutal mm. and it's gritty, mm. and then the sequels really like a, a like a parody of the first movie. It's just like a mm. really broad comedy, and it was very strange. I've, I I kind of like it more now that I'm older, but compared mm. to the first one, it's it's really not anything. Yeah, I mean, sequels sometimes don't work. I mean, mm. for me, I think Hellbound. I think that the second Hellraiser film, I kind of enjoyed pretty much even more than the first film. I loved it. But I just couldn't get into the third Hellraiser film. I kind of didn't like it at all. Yeah. Uh, I was it was really boring. But the first two were amazing, just like Halloween. The first two were brilliant. Season <laughs> of the Witch has not got any connection, but I really did enjoy that film. I do too. The films after it, I've lost interest really. To be yeah. honest with you, I've kind of lost interest in in it by then. I saw the Rob Zombie films, and they were good. You know, I liked them, but I'd always go back to the first 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 two films, especially <laughs> the first film. The 1978 film, yeah. it's just, it's got everything you'd want, really, you know, for, yeah. a, for a horror film. Yeah, I think the Rob Zombie one, I I don't dislike it, but I think uh, they took away a lot of what made the, the original movie uh, scary, where it was <laughs> just did. a kid and there's no reason why he's evil, he's just evil. And then in the Rob Zombie one, it's like, he's bullied at school and he's got bad parenting mm. and all this stuff, so mm. there's reasons why he, he turns out the way he does. Yeah, I think I was shocked by how tall he was yeah. in those Rob Zombie films. I mean, you know, Rob Zombie, great, great what he does, his films, but for me, I didn't like that kind of tallness. I liked Michael Myers as he was, you know, in the 1978 mm-hmm. film. There was something about that. He didn't need to be really hulking and tall and imposing. Mm-hmm. That that wasn't Michael Myers to me, you know, yeah. that I grew up with. So, yeah, it's like when things are blown out of all proportion, that's the thing. I think it was like the Spider-Man film with the lizard, and it was just all blown out of all proportion for me. Uh-huh. So it was just almost too. It was too over the top. Yeah. I think that's what they do with like King Kong films now. It's all too over the top. So the subtlety for me is lost. It's mm-hmm. gone. You know where I prefer. I prefer the way it was. You know, mm-hmm. I prefer the kind of subtlety. You don't need to go too over the top to make it look gigantic at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, because. Yeah, uh, Michael Myers in the original movie, that's why he is scary, even as a kid, because it could just be your neighbor. Hey, you're in the suburbs and your neighbor seems totally normal, could be a murderer. And then when he's older, he blends in because he's like a normal sized guy. But the guy who plays him in the uh, Rob Zombie one, if you saw that guy, you would be terrified. You know, he's like seven feet tall and he's this mask yeah, is all crazy think- looking. and yeah, I think that's what did it for me, though. I like the fact of... I agree. You know, it could be the, it could be the person next door. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know who's living there, or you don't know... It's that quiet person next door. You know, you don't know what they're thinking, what's going through their mind, and they may say hello to you. And once they're behind that door, behind closed doors, all manner of things could be going on that you wouldn't know about. So it's kind of... I like that kind of scariness I agree. and eeriness about things. Other than you can see the person and almost judge a book by its cover. It's like, oh, the person's definitely a psycho. <laughs> like, they're coming towards me, and they're kind of that tall. They look really angry, and, you know, they've got a kind of knife in their hand or something like that. But 
I like, I, t- I take all that away, you know, it's just, um, yeah, it's a bit too boring, all that sort of stuff. I like stuff that's more subtle. I like the Omen films, the first two Omen mm-hmm. films, especially the second film. Um, when he's in school, I love military the second school, film. yeah. Damien, yeah, it's brilliant. It's such a, just, again, a masterpiece, you know, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. The same as the first one. So it's all subtlety. It's very subtle. Nothing's too over the top. And that's what I really like about films, unless it's Reanimator, and then it is over the top. Yeah, but, still, <laughs> but that people works. People've gone further than that. Uh-huh. You know, people have gone much further than that in gore films and horror films, and I think people got—I don't know—I've got bored of a lot of those sort of films, you know, because I've again I go back to what I kind of grew up with. I think as Lemmy from Motorhead always used to say, you know, like with music, it's the music you grow up with that's there when you get older that's what you go back to and it's exactly i totally agree it's the same with music but it's the same with film for me mm-hmm. i'd always go back to what i grew up with and um even to inspire me to write stuff now whether it be house of lexi or or any of the other films i've done so you know they're always there to inspire you know mm-hmm. yeah i agreed with but hellraiser 3 as well i think i actually think that's one of the worst of the sequels it's, it is. They really changed the character for one, one thing, because like before yeah. that, he's not evil. He's kind of neutral. He's doing kind of what mm. people bring him there, you know, uh, pinhead. And he's also not the whole movie. He's a small mm. part of the movie. The third one, he is the movie, and he's just like outright evil. And then all the other Cenobites are very silly with like you know discs and like drills in their head and. That's the problem. You see, that you totally not the nail on the head, uh, Neil. You know, for me, I think like seeing them walking past shop windows. I think that that yeah. was in the film. That was the point where I was going to leave the cinema. You know, I was like, no, they they can't, they can't do this. It's terrible. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, they should have stopped on the second film. It's brilliant. They've got the mm-hmm. doctor, and you know, my favourite part in that film is when uh, I can't remember if it's who um, kind of gets into the doctor's study while he's out and they look through his books and they look at all this kind of stuff that he's kind of researching and I think that's it's such a beautiful part in the film, you know, it's a brilliant bit mm-hmm. in the film because uh, it, it gives you an insight into the Doctor's life into what he's thinking and um, I really like that and um, yeah, I think they should have stopped I think they did a series, didn't they, with Paraways I never saw it, but I think they did a series or something like that but um, they're probably do something for Netflix and bring it back like everything else is coming back yeah. it? So, you know. yeah. they're always yeah. talking about you know totally rebooting it and I know for a while exactly. it was going to be with Clive Barker which you know that would have been uh, worthwhile but mm. yeah I don't know there's like nine or ten of them now yeah it's just too much I mean it's just the first two work really well it's like Halloween is this the first two there's all these other ones and the H2O one and all this stuff and you kind of seeing the same story again and again and again, being you know, one for a better mm-hmm. word regurgitated, I suppose. But I, you know, unless they're trying a different angle on things, completely story-wise, yeah, I just I got bored of it really. I think the most disturbing film I saw when I grew up was not even a horror film; it was a French film uh, called The Phone Box. If you've ever seen that, I've I seen think that. it's from 1972. It's amazing. It scared the hell out of me as a child, you know, and still now when I kind of watch it on YouTube or something, it's got that claustrophobic feeling. I think like the guy makes a phone call, he's trapped inside the phone box, and it's, yeah, it's amazing. I think they did a remake of it, I think with Colin Farrell, I think, 
Oh, I, I seen, yeah, I didn't know it was a the remake, but I saw that movie. Yeah, the original film is yeah, it's it's unbelievable, you know. So to me, that was it, it should be classed as a horror film, actually, technically, but it's not. Um, but it has, it's got that real horrible feel to it, you know. Uh-huh. It is quite quite terrifying, really. So it should be up there of all the others, really, by rights. Yeah. So uh, back to the House of Lexi and your shorts. Once yeah. they have the um, the festival run, what becomes of them? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, because I was originally putting together a CV, like a visual CV, mm-hmm. to give to because uh, I produced the films as well as directing and casting and writing them and funding them uh, and doing the music. So I want to get a producer involved, so he's going to try that. And I was going to try and send it to TV companies, possibly Netflix, I don't know, to try and flesh out some sort of series. So that was the idea originally a year ago. But it's got to this stage now, and I suppose, yeah, they've all got their own identities, the films, but they, they're connected by something. Mm-hmm. So that gives me the thing that there could be an idea for for a series there. And I did originally have a name for a series, but I scrapped it and and just stuck with the uh, the standalone films, you know, the kind of anthology stories I suppose, mm-hmm. but as I say they connect, there's something there so once they finish the festivals I suppose I'll be trying to see you know, be shopping around while they're at festivals and see what I, if I can get them if I can get something like that mm-hmm. you know, uh, to a TV company, get someone to watch it and and just see what where I can go from there I mean I do put out DVDs on a label called mm-hmm. Bleakscape, but uh, with these films I'm not, they're almost too good to release, you know. I know it sounds strange, but you know, I've never been a person to release things on the internet. I'm mm-hmm. kind of quite old style, where I like to, I like to hold the box, you mm-hmm. know, or to hold the jewel case of a CD, and I like to pull out the inlay and read the back of the DVD cover and stuff like this. So having it online is a bit cold, I suppose. But um, at one point, I'm going to have to let go, and I'm going to have to just release them, yeah, online mm-hmm. and. And go from there. See, so maybe a pay-per-view thing yeah. online, and go from there. So, but at the moment, there's there's being without, and there's a silent film called The Affliction Table, which I've acted in, um, which is coming out this year that we finished. A film called Emily's Hands, which is a nine-minute short, um, which features Jenny Renaker, and Jenny Renaker was in The Witches, uh, and she was in Jubilee. She was in the Macintosh Man with Paul Newman. She's been in a lot of big films, you know. Um, the Creeping Flesh she was in, in the Peter Cushing was in, and she's 72 years old, but she's a massive idol of mine, and she agreed to be in one of the films, like you know. And um, you know, I've loved her since I was a kid, you know, and become friends with her over the last few years. And amazingly, she wants to be in the film, um, so she's in that film. So, and that's kind of it is again like psychological. Horror, and then we've got House of Lexi, of course, Emma Dark and uh, and Helen Stevens, and then the film in August, which is a psychological drama, and the film in November, which is a, a psychological horror, yeah, quite a full-on kind of psychological horror film. Mm-hmm. So with them films, I suppose once things are at festivals, things are getting finished. So I, I think I'll be in festivals for a little while yet, Neil, you know, before anything <laughs> yeah, happens. Yeah. But it would be nice to see if someone could take them on mm-hmm. and do something with them. So to shop around and use them as a CV, mm-hmm. that's the idea, really. Yeah. I like that idea. Plus, um, 
there are, you know, you mentioned Netflix, but nowadays there are several, you know, Netflix type places like Shudder uh, that does all horror, you know, and uh, Hulu and, and Amazon and stuff. So, yeah, uh, this place is out there. It's always looking for content. Yeah, I mean, I definitely shop it around to those places and just just to see. I mean, I never run before I can walk. You know, mm-hmm. I always I'm always apprehensive. I never think anything particularly is going to happen with the films. You know, it's just I make them, put them out there, and I'll just see what happens. And and that's it. I'm really proud of them. So um, yeah, I'll just see, and that you know, I'll just keep hammering them and going for it, and you know. And just uh, see what comes of it, but it would be nice. It'd be great to get a series out of it, and um, yeah. it'd be nice to have some financial backing. I mean, I'm working a day job mm-hmm. to pay for these films, so for me, it would be nice to have even a little bit of money there behind me, so I can, um, you know, relax a bit with the money, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's good. You know, half my money goes on into films, so it's it's a worthwhile thing for me, you know, mm-hmm. to do that, and um, yeah. You know, it could be an investment. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So, uh, where can you follow your films? You know, online to see what you're doing next, or where uh, House of Lexi or any of your shorts. Uh, what festivals are going to be at? Um, well, there's like a Facebook page for House of Lexi, mm-hmm. um, which is Facebook uh, slash uh, Lexi is haunted, and there's Facebook pages for uh, the Affliction Table and for Being Without and for Emily's Hands. Um, and I've got an Instagram as well, MW Daniels, which is bleakbeak70, uh, which is the handle. And um don't really use Twitter that much. I should use it more, really, but I do post stuff on there. Uh, but I use kind of Facebook and Instagram yeah. more, really. Um, but, yeah, they're the places if people want to uh, if people want to see the films. Uh, I mean, there's a Wix website, but um, that's kind of up and coming. So mm-hmm. I think in the next couple of weeks there will be a website there. Um, which would be, I think it would be nwdaniels.com. Uh, so, you know, and then people will be able to go to there and see uh, the updates on the films and whatever's happening. But at the moment, it's kind of, yeah, just all going into festivals and just uh, waiting to see if they're going to get um, get accepted, really. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Being Without has just been accepted for a second festival, a place called the Unrestricted View Festival, and that happens in May. Uh, so that's really nice, you know. So there is a few things happening, yeah. So people are people are taking notice of them, which is excellent, really. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I myself don't use Twitter a lot, and I always say the same thing. I probably should use it more because I know mm. people like Twitter. I just don't personally yeah. like it, but <laughs> I think Facebook is a lot more personal. But yeah, yeah, I mean, Facebook and Instagram are great because they're quite quick with people mm-hmm. getting back to you on stuff. And I think Twitter, I found like this kind of. I first joined Twitter and it was like this desolate kind of, <laughs> I don't know, like a icy kind of island with nobody on it. It was like you put something out there and nothing would really come back quick enough, you know. And it was where Instagram's, as I say, it's very instant and people really onto things straight away. So it's it's quite nice, but. Twitter was a bit odd. I couldn't really get to grips with that for a little while. But but now it's actually it's okay. People, you post stuff and people like stuff. You get some opinions on there, which is quite nice. But Facebook and Instagram are the the two ones, definitely. You know. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, talking with me, and I hope people check out the movies at the at the festivals. Yeah. 
Thanks very much. I really appreciate it. You know, really appreciate it. And you know, your golf films and horror films is excellent talking to someone who is enthusiastic about all them old films. Yeah, well. the stuff I grew up Man. watching, and I still, you know, love it. So, yeah, especially Invisible Man. That's amazing. Yes, you know? yes. Oh, you know, yeah, that's, someone likes that, that. That's it. I agree. Then you've got to be friends. And uh, James Whale doesn't get <laughs> enough love when people talk about like the great horror directors, and uh, I think he deserves to be up there. Yeah, definitely deserves to be up there. I mean, there's so many underrated that need to be up there, you know, still. Um, but, you know, that's just the way it is, man. I'm sure there'll be a book out there of all these people logged in there at one point, you know, sort of underground directors. But, um, but yeah, as I say, the blood-sucking freaks guy, for me, he needs to be up there. He he is. He's, he's, he's a genius at the end of the day, so, you know. <laughs> He's great, you know, I'd love to meet that guy. So I'm very envious that you've met him, Neil. Yeah, he's <laughs> so. man. I'd like to just meet him again. It's been a while. It's been a couple of years, but yeah, he's he's great. He's great, yeah, he's yeah. really good. He's, yeah. He's, he's good. Mm-hmm. He's a little weird, just like the movie, but uh but he's a very nice guy. I think you've got to be to make a yeah, film yeah. like that. <laughs> right. a, a bit strange. Yeah, you couldn't you just know? be like a normal like an accountant or something and I made blood sucking freaks on the side. I think he's probably obviously had people come up to him at conventions that know that film uh-huh. every single second of that film, you know, <laughs> uh, which is great. So and it's good that it's spread that far. A film like that, I think that's beautiful that that's happened. Where you know it could have easily got brushed under the carpet yeah, yeah. like so many other films, but it's kind of it's kind of come out as this classic, which it deserves at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It really deserves it and I'm, I'm still need to buy a t-shirt of blood sucking freaks yes i have one <laughs> you know. uh-huh. very cool well i appreciate this and uh, i'd love to have you back sometime yeah brilliant thanks so much neil really appreciate it man cool. thanks take care cheers man speak bye. to you soon yeah definitely. Bye. bye this is benny chapman the creature from the black lagoon without your head dot com
This is Emma Dark, director of Season Night and Salient Minus 10, and you're listening to Without Your Head. <laughs> 